We're back to finish out the week and the year with uh, minute 19 of Jurassic Park 3. Dave, ready to get into it? Sure. As we ended minute 18 of Jurassic Park 3, the aeroplane had dropped down above the treetops of Isla and was flying over herds of different animals, all running and startled by the sound of the aircraft. As we opened the minute, back inside the aircraft, we panned down the small space, past the cockpit, to Amanda and Paul. Paul rubs Amanda's arm and says, We did it, honey. We made it. As they go back to looking out the windows. Udesky calls back to Cooper and says, If you see anything, yell up. Cooper replies, I thought I'd keep it to myself. At the 10 second mark, Alan realises he's not doing his tour guide duties and says, I'm sorry, if you look out the left of the aircraft, you can see a whole herd of Brachiosaurus and the male ahead of the herd feeding. At the 18 second mark, Paul calls forward to the cockpit and asks Udesky or Nash if they see anything either. Udesky replies, nothing yet, Mr. Kirby. At the 22nd mark, Grant chuckles to himself, not understanding what's happening. He calls to Mrs. Kirby. Mrs. Kirby, if you look out here, you'll see a whole herd of Triceratops. And he's cut off by Nash, calling to Paul. Mr. Kirby, we have a landing strip up ahead. Do you want me to set her down? Paul replies, no, no, I told you I want to circle first, see the whole island. At the 32nd mark, Grant says, what, what do you mean set her down? You can't land here. As Paul and Amanda try and explain to Grant to take it easy and that they can explain everything, Grant unbuckles his seatbelt and makes for the cockpit, saying you cannot land on this island. At the 41 second mark, as Alan stands, behind him Cooper stands also and follows him. At the 44 second mark, we get a point of view of Grant as he's looking at the Kirby's as they're still trying to convince him to sit down, and Paul's face screws up as Grant's hit from behind, and the screen goes blank. At the 47 second mark, we come back on Grant's face as he squints his eyes and slowly opens them. Outside we can hear the jungle noises of birds and insects. At the 55 second mark, Alan gets up slightly and says to Billy, who's kneeling at his feet, tell me we didn't land. And as the minute ends, from outside, we can hear Amanda on the bullhorn calling Eric's name. As we open on minute 19, we cut back in inside the plane as the uh, camera's moving from the cockpit through the pollen and Amanda and um, Paul reaches out and rubs Amanda's arm and says we did it honey we're here and behind Amanda you can see Billy taking photos out the uh, plane window which I don't I can't recall I'm sure there'd be some professional editing software <laughs> um, back in 2001 but even now if you've got the right editing software you can sort of take some decent photos out of plane window but for the most part plane windows aren't the best things to be <laughs> taking photos out of just because more so the double glass you got there, so you got dirty. You always have dirt streaks and that in there and yeah. scratches from inside where people are rubbing <laughs> rubbing stuff against the mm -hmm. perspex or glass. But um... Yeah, that's true. I mean, when I went to the Redwoods, I did take some pictures. We went over one of the national parks. I think it was one of the Canyon National Parks in one of our mountain estates. Mm -hmm. And I did take some photos, and at the time, like you said, they're they were through paint, double pins of glass that were foggy, scratchy, and I had to run them through a photo editing software just to get them to look decent. They're actually very good photos once I've cleaned them up. Mm. But yeah, there's no way that he's going to get really good photos on his budget. You know, yeah, was... they did have like Adobe Photoshop back then, yeah. but it's expensive then, it's expensive now, and there's no way they could probably justify it for their department. You know? Mm. Yeah, we don't... 
I don't recall if we actually get a good a good shot of the camera that Billy's using, if it's a film or a digital camera. I think it... I can't remember if it was film or digital, but I do believe it was a Nikon. Or maybe it was... I don't know. Hold on. Because I'm pretty sure they had Nikon sponsor The Lost World, because they'll film... Like, yeah. <laughs> they, even, they even called out the fact that they were using it in the film. Because that'd be different, too. Because if you're... If you're using film photography, then you'd have to then scan, develop, yeah, develop and scan. Have to, you, yeah, you have to develop and then scan all the negatives. It's it, it was a Nikon. Uh, looking at Jurassicpedia here, it's a Nikon F100 camera. Okay. It was introduced in 1999. It's a scaled-down version of the F5 from Canon. Well, there you go. So it's not brand-new camera equipment of the day, so... It's, no, it's possible was... that he has he has had it for his adventures off hang gliding and everything else. Mhm. It, it it is a film camera, yeah. Mm. And I will admit that as a camera person, if I was shooting far away like this, I probably would have chose a Canon. But then again, being a paleontologist, he wouldn't have known this. I'm a <laughs> photographer as a I I like photography as a hobby, so I've. I know this, but I personally would have chosen a Canon because Canons have better clarity, but I do find that Nikons do better color. <laughs> like you'll get a better color cat, you'll get a better, better uh, true to color with a Nikon camera, but you'll get better clarity with a Canon. Well, that'd be like um, that'd be like the difference between Nick <laughs> Nick taking a camera and Alan taking a camera. Alan, yeah. Alan would take a disposable camera out of a vending machine where Nick would have his duffel bags full of different lighting <laughs> sort, light sources and everything else. To be fair, they, paleontologists do use cameras on their dig sites just to document the process and to uh, document the images mm -hmm. so that they can sketch them out later. Even bone placement, like the arrangement of... Exactly, yeah. yeah. But usually they don't really need or are noted for their photography skills. <laughs> yep. Um, up from the front of the plane, we uh, hear Udesky calling out, Hey, Cooper, if you see anything, yell up. And Cooper responds comedically, No, I thought I'd keep it to myself. Which, sort of, again, a bit of the banter going on between these two here, and Grant realises he's not doing what he's, uh, what he's being paid to do and starts playing tour guide. Mm. <laughs> um he says, I'm sorry, look everyone, if you look out the left of the plane, you'll see a herd of, a whole herd of Brachiosaurus. In fact, uh, you can see in the front the, of the group the alpha male grazing there. And, um, and sort of, that'd be Grant going off his research of alpha males and how uh, sort of herd mm -hmm. mentality act and not the fact that it's coloured differently and he hasn't seen the males before. Yeah, I'd have to say he's probably going more based off of research of behavioral paleontology than anything. Just looking at, like, I'm not even sure how he would understand it from fossil records alone. I'd imagine you'd have to be comparing it to contemporary large mammal uh, herding animals. Two questions. One, do you think Sarah's read a, uh, wrote a book? And two, do you think Grant's read it? <laughs> I'm not sure, because... And and we I think this is brought up I, in the uh, script as well. He says something about them being 
engines di- engines monsters or something like that in this minute. Mm. But Grant really makes a makes a uh, he makes an effort to distinguish engines creations from dinosaurs of the fossil record. And I've actually seen this attitude a lot from from real life paleontologists who just kind of viewed the Jurassic Park movies as is like B level monster flicks with no real um yeah pre- present no real progress to paleontological study. Oh, boo. <laughs> boo to you. <laughs> I know, but I mean you got to remember that in the first Jurassic Park and to an extent the Lost World as well, they really made an effort to try to bring these animals and make them feel as contemporary as possible. Mm. And sure, science marches on and I will always know more by the time the movie comes out, but still, I think that the fact that they make an effort to present them as animals and not just movie monsters should be applauded because up until Jurassic Park, dinosaurs were always these kind of movie monsters that got delegated to these B-type movies like uh, Beasts from 20,000 Fathoms and uh, uh, The Lost World, the original 19... 60s version where they glued horns onto an iguana. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have come a long way. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Paul looks forward to the cockpit and yells out, Udesky, Nash, how about you guys up front, Sanofin? And you, Udesky responds, nothing yet, Mr. Kirby. And Grant sort of chuckles to himself, partly confused and in disbelief where... He's, he's, We're all gonna die. Yeah, he's seeing animals out the um out the windows, but no one else. I wonder if a brief moment if he thinks he's dreaming again, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe hoping that he is. Yeah, well, I suppose Billy's seen him, so he's uh, he's not alone there. But um, he tries to get Amanda's attention. Look, Mrs. Kirby, uh, look out here. You'll see a group of Triceratops, and he's cut off by Nash once again. Mr. Kirby, we have a landing strip up ahead. Do you want me to put it down? And uh, Paul replies, no, no, I told you I wanted to circle first and see the whole island. And behind him, we get a troubled look come across Grant's face. <laughs> what do you mean, set her down? You can't land here. So we're sort of getting right to getting on the island where we could sort of spend another five minutes circling the island and getting more uh, picturesque views of Hawaii, but they're going to um, get us on the island. And uh, Paul turns to face Grant and says, look, I can explain, but Grant yells, you cannot land on this island, and unbuckles his seatbelt. And behind him you can see Cooper taking his sunglasses off, <laughs> getting ready to spring into, act- into action. Um, Cooper, the war- the uh, old man's having war flashbacks again. Better take him out. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, but... Um, both Paul and Amanda are talking over each other, telling Grant that he doesn't understand and that everything's going to be all right. But uh, Grant stands to make his way towards the cockpit, and as he does, Grant uh, Cooper stands behind him as well. And we get a close shot of Paul and Amanda's face, sort of through Grant's POV, as um, we hear a fud and Paul's face screws up, and <laughs> he goes ooh, <laughs> and the shot goes to black. Now. I've always assumed this was just the uh, the age-old movie way of knocking someone out by a pistol, pistol knocked to the back of the head or the neck. <laughs> I have to agree there, yeah, because I mean, there's no way that he just knocked him out with a punch to the face because we never see 
a fair centre as field of vision. Yeah, they they set the scene up to be Grant's point of view, looking directly at the Kirby's faces, and you don't see anything apart from the screen go black. Um, you don't hear you don't even hear a zap of a taser. Although I don't know, I don't know if tasers were portable enough to, back in back then to um, to even electrocute him, but. We do uh, we do get something a little bit different in the um, in the script, but um, we're on black for a little while, and then we cut back to Grant laying on the floor, looking upwards. We can hear the jungle insects and birds in the background, and uh, he opens his eyes and slowly sits up. And Billy's crouching down by his feet, and he asks Billy, "Tell me we didn't land," and. Uh, as the minute ends, from outside, we hear a uh, Amanda's voice echoing through over a bullhorn, calling Eric's name. She calls his name twice. <laughs> Eric! Would you knock that off? Dark Ranch says that's a very bad idea. <laughs> that is a very bad idea. But uh, <laughs> we'll have to get to that next minute as to why. Um, going into the novel and script comparisons in the uh, in the script, there's no herbivore herd, but uh, after Cooper said um, he'll yell if he sees anything, Grant looks out the window and sees a lone apatosaur, which is different than the sort of mentioned in the apatosaur here, not a brachiosaurus, which mm-hmm. would call back to the Lost World a little bit more. We never really, we never seen a brachiosaur in the Lost World. We know they were sort of, they had a marquette on... Um, on the game trail when they were filming just for, um, I'm guessing just for like a stand-in for colours, like yeah. the, the light. I can't remember what they call it. Yeah, it, was, it looked like it was chopped up, like they were intending it to be the Mementiosaurus, but they just didn't want to make a new maquette for it because they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be um, actually using it for referencing any kind of practical effects. Yeah, or a two-second scene where a motorcycle rides through its legs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically it. But um, Grant starts to describe the coloration of an animal, and Billy says he's used to seeing bones, and it's weird to see skin. <laughs> Which, um, again, is sort of just bringing up the fact that these Grant's the only one here that's actually seen any of these animals in the mm-hmm. flesh, sort of. <laughs> but... Um, Alan goes to ask the Kirby's to look out the window at the animal, but um, Paul waves him off, and uh, he looks out the window intently, and Grant thinks it's sort of odd. And in the cockpit, Yudesky lowers a pair of binoculars and says, "South coast or south shore is clear. Um, the rest is rock," which is either alluding to looking for some sort of signal on the beach, or maybe that beach is the only point of ingress or place you can leave the island where it's not a rocky, rocky coastline. Maybe. Nash, uh, Nash then goes on to ask Udesco if we're on, and Udesco replies, we're on. And Grant sort of notices the plane starting to get lower to the ground, and just then he hears a mechanical hum from under the floor, and he asks, that's not the landing gear. And Paul and Amanda don't respond, or Cooper don't respond to him. And uh, Grant continues, what are you, you can't land here. And Paul turns to face him, Dr. Grant, if you just sit, sit tight, we'll explain all this in a jiffy. <laughs> Which... Isn't, isn't yeah, this island? Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, but Grant, yeah, Grant tells him the plane cannot land and makes for the cockpit and a bit of internal monologue here. He um he says he'll wrestle with the controls if he has to, but he's not going to let this plane la- land. 
and uh, but Cooper grabs him and pulls him back, and Grant struggles, but is no match. And um, then a well-practiced fist hits him dead on, and we cut to black, which, again, as we said before, <laughs> Cooper's doing pretty well if he can reach around and punch Grant in the face from behind while he's holding him. Um, it's not actually, it's not actually sort of said here who actually punched him. No, I think it's a, I can't know. Don't wait. That's not here, but in the movie it's clearly uh, Cooper. Yeah, yeah. And then I think uh, Paul even says so when he asks who, when Grant asks who hit him, he says Cooper. And then he points to the guy running off into the jungle. Hmm. And being a mercenary, we don't really see him a full sort of a look at him, but he'd obviously have a pistol on his hip. Um, you'd think he'd have a um, license to carry a concealed weapon. I don't think it really matters if he's licensed or not. Yeah. Island. Yeah. Although I, I get definitely not judo chop. He didn't do the Austin Powers judo chop at the neck. <laughs> um. But in the novel, it's described a little bit more there. Um, Grant isn't surprised to hear the awe in Billy's voice. He remembers the first time he's seen one of InGen's creations. But now Alan knew the truth. Uh, these dinosaurs were never meant to coexist with man. They had brought only pain and death. And since that awful trip eight years ago, Alan had vowed um, to forget the wonder he'd first experienced in Jurassic Park. Even at this distance, he refused to let his guard down. He thought to himself... Uh, do your tour guide duty and get the hell out of here. Which, as you were saying before, just again, he, he fails to see these animals as animals and they're just ingenious creations. So, yeah, there's, there was the quote I was mentioning earlier in the minute. Yeah, yep. And just the fact that he sort of tried to shut off and forget the wonder he felt at Jurassic Park because um, I wouldn't say it was false wonder, but it just led to, <laughs> led to misery and death. Yeah, and uh, also, when um, Alan tells the Cobras to look out the window and Paul waves him off, Billy whispers in his ear that that's sort of weird and tells Alan that he gets the feeling that they aren't um, getting along too well and it feels like one of those second honeymoons to save a marriage, which would sort of call out again a bit more of the fact that these two are divorced and where in the film they sort of, they're happily married it seems. And um, the, rest of the, the rest of the scene happens pretty much um, the same way as the script in the film. So, David, anything else on Minute 19 you want to discuss? I think we covered that pretty well. All right. This is the uh, the final episode for 2019. 19? <laughs> Where are you for? 2018. David, Merry Christmas. And I hope you have a safe holiday. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, wherever you celebrate, you all mm-hmm. in those times. Have a happy new year. We'll see you guys in the new year. Yep, this will be uh, this will be coming out the week before Christmas, so we will have one quick little episode for that Christmas week where we are going to finally get back to reading or get to reading rereading the Lost World novel. Um, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off over Christmas and read that novel through and. Uh, We'll be back in January with the first couple of minutes and our our book report, <laughs> our uh, our review sort of and thoughts looking back on the novel. But um, we will be releasing a quick little episode. It'll probably be that Christmas week of uh, our initial thoughts and what we what we're looking forward to revisiting the novel and what we're hoping to uh, get back from the novel as well. Mm-hmm. 
But um, that's it. David, thanks for the year, and um, I'll see you in 2018. All right, sure. Um, 2019, you mean. <laughs> uh, uh, yep, yeah, dates. <laughs> if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is jurassicminutes.wordpress.com, and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on earth or heaven. Get me on that island. You desky. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! Take the phone to mommy! It's the it's the dinosaur there! Okay.